What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Monday, May 17th, 2021, and this week's episode, New Lightweight Era. We'll be recapping Charles Oliveira's victory over Michael Chandler to become the new UFC lightweight champion at UFC 262. We'll talk a little bit about the finishes, Benil Dariush beating Tony Ferguson, Edson Barbosa beating Shane Burgos, and a lot of that good stuff. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news, a very big month seemingly shaping up in the month of August, and Dana White's new well, I guess seemingly newfound battle with Triller. And we'll cap it off talking about this coming Saturday's event, UFC Vegas 27, Rob Font versus Cody Garbrandt at Bantamweight, and a little bit of Bellator, Chris Cyborg taking on Leslie Smith on Friday at Bellator 259. My name is Gabriel, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Happy Monday. We got some good fights in the rear view, some good fights coming up. So uh, I can't complain. Um, and like, you know, we got a new champion, right? <laughs> that's a, that's a something pretty exciting at 155. You know, I, I think that it um it was just such a debate because I feel like we're going to see, we were thinking, well, what kind of stuff are we going to see in the back half of the year and what it meant for everybody. So I, I did feel like there was, it was just such a very great fight to discuss leading up to it because there was no history with Charles and um everybody compared to now what we have pretty much for the rest of the lightweight division so I really liked it um let's get into it Charles Oliveira against Michael Chandler uh Charles comes out uh defending well using his height using his reach he gets the fight down um, he takes the back. It looks like, well, you know, like, is Michael Chandler in early trouble? Chandler breaks out, just really explodes out of, you know, from having his back taken to, you know, get back to the feet. Cracks Charles, has him hurt, probably is a clean shot or two away from winning the title. Um, Charles survives. Mm-hmm. We get to the second round. And very early, Chandler just stops in front of him for that uh, long second with the hand down. And Oliveira just cracks him with the perfect left hook, puts him on shaky legs, and he just follows it up with some clean shots for the finish. Um, Natalie, I will say this. uh, When I thought about the way this goes down, I had a hard time seeing Charles finishing... Michael Chandler just straight up with a kill shot like that and I think that's what impressed me the most I think that that spoke a lot to just his evolution on the feet his awareness and his presence of mind I mean Michael Chandler uh, you just don't want to stand in front of him especially in these early rounds when he's fresh and he'd just been rocked so in, in that way you know it's a back and forth first round and then he gets that kind of finish uh, that's a very just nice healthy exclamation point to what was a very crazy night of fights what about you yeah the crazy thing is and you you pointed out michael chandler was just a few shots away from from finishing charles Oliveira in that first round but he chose to go with him to the ground to stay there and even when he was on his feet he chose to try and kick Charles Oliveira's legs or try and sweep the legs to the side and, and 
attack with his hands, and he should have just backed up, let the ref stand Charles up, and and started over again because that would have been his best shot. But by allowing Charles Oliveira to threaten from his back, it just gave him time to you know get his wits about him again. Round two, Charles Oliveira's not messing around. He was ready to uh, strike as soon as he saw the opportunity. Lightning quick short, um, lightning quick left hook. Didn't really load up on it. It was just almost, almost threw it from where he was standing without much, uh, much of a tell. And that was all she wrote. A few more, more uh, killer shots. Chased him a little bit against the cage, right? And that was it. It was a stunning victory because of how close Michael Chandler was in round one. Now it was a back and forth round, but when Michael, where Michael Chandler had the advantage towards the end, it seemed like. Oh, so close if he had just stuck with it, but oh well. Uh, props to Michael Chandler for his, his you know, positivity in that interview that, that all the main event folks have to do after they lose. He was very humble in defeat, but it was, um, it's, it's, you know, it's tricky to see what's next for him. There's plenty of options. Justin Gaethje was, I think, one of the more popular ones on the old uh, Twitter machine there as a suggestion for his next fight. He says he's going to have the belt within 12 months. Um, and, you know, it's entirely possible that he could do that. But Charles Oliver is so tricky because of that length. That length is that, that extra special advantage that he has that maybe someone like Tony Ferguson, you could say, also has. But as we'll probably get into soon, I think the, the days of Tony Ferguson being at the top are, are, are gone. Or, or on their way to being gone. So in other words, Charles Oliveira is sort of like the man with the reach, the height, the length, and he can put it all together. And that's going to be a challenge for anybody. So even if Michael Chandler does get back around to challenging Charles Oliveira again, you know, it's 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 a we have a tough new champion at the lightweight division, but it's exciting. We finally have a new name, and it's it's someone that everyone knew deserved the title shot, but no one really saw it coming, right? Because it was so loaded at the top with Gaethje, Poirier, Khabib, Connor, Tony Ferguson, and now Charles Oliveira is your champion. So it's it's a, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, um, to touch back on Michael Chandler's just performance, I think that um, when you watch it back, and it, it, not just so much he followed him to the ground, but he kind of went into the guard. And it felt like, oh, man, I felt, like you said, he, he seemed to have a great opportunity to just, you know, maybe try to pass or, like you said, maybe try to let him stand up. And I, I do feel like that was a very critical tactical error that, you know, could he have gotten the job done? We'll never know. But when I watched it back, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, you you probably can get this, Mike, or you could probably put him in a bad position and all that. Um, you know, it, it was not meant to be. The second one, you know, when you watch it back and Ch the way Chandler just with the hand, you know, I don't know if he was planning to shoot from the hip or what have you, but clearly just um, that was just a big opening. I mean, uh, there wasn't too much uh, with the setups. I think it was just all about the timing for Charles Oliveira and, uh, you know, Michael Chandler just kind of stops in front of him with the hands down. You just cannot do that. You know, yes, he's stronger. Yes, he's faster. But it, you just can't do that with a guy who's technically proficient like Charles. So, um, yeah, that, that's just two things. And full credit to Charles Oliveira. 
presence of mind to do what he had to do in both of those positions to survive and then obviously finish the fight. Um, yeah, I, I think the easiest one to get it out of the way, Charles Oliveira. The winner of Dustin Poirier and Connor is like a no-brainer. I mean, there, there's just not a scenario unless one of those guys gets hurt or we have like a Robert Whitaker situation. They try to rush it and they just like, no, I, I want to wait and prep for this fight. That's the only way Dustin or Connor don't fight Charles next. Um, And then we talk about, well, who's the wild card? Maybe Dariush. I'm not going to rule that out, but I almost feel like Charles in the UFC might try to pull, call an audible and go like Adesanya Yul Romero coming off a loss. They might go with Justin Gaethje. So um, I guess my thing is, I think it's safe to say the Poirier fight stands out and that winner. Is there anything else you think that could come out of left field for Charles? No, I think I think that's the one that's going to be made. I mean, those two guys, Connor, Dustin, like they're not just in this for the money. Like they want the glory and the gold too. You know, Dustin um, delayed that title shot so he could get the money fighting Connor, but they both want to be able to say they're champions um, again. You know, in term and real. So I don't see anything coming out of left field for Charles Oliveira. I think it's just going to be winner of Poirier McGregor, and and then we'll see how it shakes out. Yeah, I agree. Um, in terms of Chandler, we kind of said it is that he had a big chance. Like you know, when you talk about leaving Bellator, why he left Bellator, you know, he, he essentially came over because it's like, look, my career's probably gotten as good as it's gonna get staying in Bellator even if he had let's say rematch Patricio Pitbull and gets the belt back it was kind of you know he he'd kind of hit his ceiling and he pretty much admitted that so he was here to just try to add that to his legacy and he got a great opportunity I do think that he's still a, a top guy he's a dangerous guy and he's got a set of weapons that is always going to be very difficult to deal with as long as he keeps you know he's as durable and he's still as fast as we saw I coming off this loss now now respectfully now he's one of the bunch you know and so yes there's Charles and Dustin and Connor in the conversation at the top now you do talk about the maybe not Tony Ferguson and like you said we'll discuss that right now but the Justin Gaethje's, the Benil Dariush, the Islam Mahachevs, you know, we're not talking about like, hey, win this fight and you get a title shot. We are talking about you're probably going to have to get one or two of these victories in a loaded division and look great. And not only that, you got to also get timing on your side. If it's still Charles holding the belt and there's anyone else who's another option, it's just hard to see Michael Chandler getting back there in the near future. Now, anything can happen. You know, someone gets hurt. Something, you know, uh, Charles is, loses the belt. Then maybe we have a little more of a conversation. But right now, right in this moment, a uh, immediate jump back to the title picture with the way things are set up right now, I just don't see it happening. Um, in terms of what we could see next, 
Uh, I think the UFC really likes Michael Chandler. Uh, I could see them giving him a fight with a guy like a Islam or a Benil, who's, you know, I know Islam got booked against Thiago Moises, but I think a lot of people are pointing at Islam. Could he be that next guy on the way up? Um, and that kind of expedites his trip back up the, the rankings, but for my money, he might get like an RDA or uh, maybe Justin Gaethje. Uh, but those are the only two that really stand out to me as what do we honestly think will be most likely next for Chandler. That's all I got. Yeah, I could see RDA for sure. Justin Gaethje, that's a tough one. I feel like uh, <laughs> let Michael Chandler get a win first before he goes up against another top dog. Um, RDA is a good, a good opponent. Um, you know, we'll get into Tony Ferguson right now. I don't know if he'll be fighting anytime soon. That's a tough one, too, for Tony. It's like, come on, give Tony a break. <laughs> so Michael Chandler is kind of floating around there in no man's land, but he'll get something. and He's not going to turn a fight down, so whoever they offer him, he'll take it. Um, and it's just up to the UFC to decide if they want to give him a little mini micro tune-up in like an RDA or a Benil um, or just put him right back into the fire with Justin Gaethje. No, I agree. And I'll bring back up Justin Gaethje after this one. But, um, you know, mm -hmm. let's talk about co-main event. Benil Dariush just smothered Tony Ferguson. Just stayed on him, rolled with him, kept getting to the right positions, kept staying in his face. And, you know, uh, I thought that Tony... Uh, it was like... Do you remember when we talked about Neil Magny, Michael Chiesa? Yeah, mm -hmm. Michael Chiesa kind of was pushed to be that next level good grappler and really dominate Neil Magny. I felt it was a lot of the same for Tony. I felt like he was trying and moving and kept trying to do something with Benil and it forced Benil to really push the tempo and really just stick to him like glue and... You know, uh, I think a lot of people, well, they're going to stand, you know. They, they sold the highlights and Benil's spinning back elbow, fist, knockout. And we knew Tony had heavy hands and he was working with Freddie Roach. And, and quite bluntly, I think very few people expected such a predominantly grappling fight. But I think when you saw what Charles Oliveira did, I completely get why Benil went that route. And it obviously paid off for him. He showed that he is at that level on the mat. And look, we know what Tony Ferguson could do off of his back. And he proved that he was the superior grappler. And um, yeah, I mean, we could talk a lot about Tony Ferguson's toughness. I know we will right now, but just give full credit to Benil Dariush. Big name, dangerous guy, someone who never goes away quietly. And he just took the wind out of the sails from the get-go. Just a very impressive, dominant performance over a tough guy in Tony. Yeah, it was a clean clean sweep, basically. You know, Tony Ferguson had some moments there. But in general, he looked not himself. Um, a little, like, gaunt. You know, it's just his appearance. He looked sort of thinner than usual, even though that's that's always been his, his physique. Long and lanky. But he just didn't look quite right to me. And um, even his movement, a little more stiff. That flow was was diminished. And I don't remember if it was Daniel Cormier or Joe Rogan. Somebody said it perfectly, which is, you know, when you have that kind of wild, unorthodox style, and that starts to fade uh, or is no longer as effective because 
you're older and, and so slower as a result, then you got to rely on your fundamentals. And when those aren't really sharp, as they, they aren't in Tony Ferguson, because he always relied on that, that you know, unorthodox wild style, when the fundamentals aren't really sharp, then you start having problems. And that's what we've been seeing. Apart from which, you know, Justin Gaethje, I believe, caused a lot of damage to Tony Ferguson. He hasn't been the same since. But also we have to think about age. He's 37. And, um, you know, it's just not all firing together. The brain wants one thing. The body's saying, well, let me think about it. And then reacting a second too late. So Dariush was able to capitalize on all of those, um, you know, uh, issues with, with Tony Ferguson's uh, fighting game at this moment. And then, of course, that horrifying submission attempt, the heel hook, Tony Ferguson, you know, the mind is stronger than anything, and he uh, didn't tap, just opened his mouth, and I don't know if he screamed audibly or just, you know, opened his mouth uh, in pain, but that was crazy. I don't know, um, Double G, any word yet on, on if Tony's knee is uh, what the damage was? Has, has anybody said I want to remind you guys, he tore his knee bad and then just decided he's going to come back months earlier and go to war with Anthony Pettis just because he felt like it. That's who Tony Ferguson is. Tony Ferguson is the type of guy to do that. Okay? Um, uh, He... uh, I always related to this, and I don't know how much of a basketball person you are, 20, I think it's 2011, one of those. Derrick Rose, MVP, Chicago Bulls, and he's going up against LeBron James and them. And, you know, he's the favorite. Tears his ACL. Uh, guy suffers a lot of injuries, you know. He rehabs for a year, comes back, hurts, I think it was the other knee. By pretty much long story short, by the end of it, he's hurt both knees, never really becomes the same quick explosive guy again couple years later, you got this guy, Russell Westbrook, who's still a big deal right now. Tears his knee, somehow rehabs it, comes back, is more somehow explosive than before. It's a weird thing, but believe it or not, not all tendons are not created equal. <laughs> and that's what I felt like watching Tony Ferguson. And you hear Benil say, oh, I heard it pop. And, and it's like, and Tony just kind of grimaced, but he never tapped. The hand never came up once. No. Oh, he, God. And so I, is there stuff internally damaged? Absolutely. I also, God forbid, but I couldn't remember. Was that the same knee that he tore up before the Pettis fight? that I took him know. out of Like, that's... He really is built differently. And I will say that I do worry that that, some, that was a too tough for his own good kind of moment. But, um, yeah, my thing, um, for one, I don't think that a a trip back to the top is, you know, in the cards for Tony Ferguson right now. He's still a popular guy. Uh, when you look at Jan Blahovic and even Charles Oliveira, crazy things happen, but I think it's safe to say that, uh, Tony getting there, you know, really without some kind of crazy, crazy turn of events it's probably just out of the, you know, not going to happen, which is unfortunate because we do remember where he was pretty much about a year ago, right before he fought Justin Gaethje. So it, it's tough and it's been a really rapid decline, but um, 
it's just unfortunate for uh, Tony, but that's just the fight game. He got three elite level guys who really just seem to be catching him at the right time. And you got to respect that. Think about it. Charles Oliveira is now the champion and Tony Ferguson fought him one fight ago. This is, you know, he did not get an easy path here. So, but yeah, it was just tough. Um, I mean, back to Benil, just, uh, I mean, who do you want for him, plain and simple? Um, well, for Benil, I guess, I guess if we're talking, we we're talking about Michael Chandler and I was leaning towards RDA, but probably Benil makes sense. Uh, or sorry, probably Michael Chandler makes sense for Benil. Or, you know, the winner should get the more the higher ranked fighter. So out of Michael Chandler and Benil, maybe it should be Benil who gets Justin Gaethje, and and Michael Chandler can get RDA. Justin Gaethje, Benil Darius, that's a good matchup. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think for me, it comes down to. Um... I think Michael Chandler's going to take a bit of a break. I think he should. I think he had a very active, you know, think about it. He got one less month than Charles Oliveira going into this. I think for me, um, and now I want to bring up Justin Gaethje. First with Benil, it seems like they have like a we're friends, but we're cool fighting each other kind of vibe. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. that helps. If they don't, okay, I, I respect that, but I need both sides to be upfront about it and say, yeah, we're too cool to fight each other. But Neil said, ah, maybe. I get where that makes sense. So that makes me think it's not that case on his end. The problem with Gaethje Chandler now, while it makes sense on paper, the timing. I mean, you know, it's now May. Uh, I don't know if he's waiting to try to be the backup for Dustin and Connor or what have you, but we are now coming up that uh, we're getting there for Justin Gaethje. It's like, how long do you plan to sit and wait and watch? And I don't know if it's like, hey, you know, I'm done taking these fights. I know he said in an interview, like, I just want a full camp. I don't know if he's planning, well, let me wait to see what happens when Charles fights the winner of Connor and Dustin, and maybe I'm back up there, but I do think we're reaching a certain point where it's like, well, I kind of need to hear Justin say it, because otherwise it just feels like, well, how long, what scenario are you necessarily waiting for? Are you trying to be a backup? Are you trying to see if you could get a Yol Romero kind of deal and just jump in there if things fall apart? I'm really not sure. I think that him and Benil makes a lot of sense because Benil, you know, the timing there might work out. And uh, if Chandler, we don't see him until late this year, maybe early next year too. So uh, I think to me, that's it. Um, Once again, RDA is up there. If Islam wins, both of those opponents also make great sense for Benil Dariush um, coming off wins. So that's the only way I can cut this pie and still factor Justin Gaethje in there. And look, we've seen it work out recently. Jorge Masvidal waited, got his title shot. Gilbert Burns waited, got his title shot. Colby Covington waited, got his title shot. I don't know if Justin Gaethje's in that same position right now. And so that's really just my um, my last note on it. Just what are your thoughts on how we could make all these pieces work? Because right now, I don't think that we have one. It is a tricky puzzle here because a lot does rest on the shoulders of Justin Gaethje 
Um, if he is going to do the long, the long wait, then um, that means more activity for the folks we we're just talking about, Darius and Chandler. But of course, Chandler, if you you know, depending on how much time he wants to to, to rest, which is completely um, deserving, then um, yeah, does Justin Gaethje like Benil? Of course, will will want to fight Justin Gaethje. But what does that do for Justin Gaethje, right? The rankings haven't been updated yet, so I don't know where Benil's going to land. But maybe he'll swap places with Tony Ferguson and be fifth. And so that would be more meaningful to Justin Gaethje to fight someone who's ranked in the top five. Maybe that would be the only scenario under which Justin Gaethje would fight Benil Dariush. Otherwise, I don't think he would take it, in which case then this scenario where he continues to wait um, comes to fruition. So, yee. <laughs> You know, look, I say we have this conversation again after Justin and Connor, and then the dust will settle, and then we'll have an opponent for Justin Gaethje, because probably whoever loses will fight him. I think that's fair. I think that, um, well, even then, it's like, well, now we got to wait and see, because does Connor want that? Does Dustin? Well, yeah, does everybody? Connor want that. Yeah, jeepers. These guys are all Dustin's such big beating names. them already. Yeah. I don't know, man. We'll, we'll wait and see. <laughs> today it's okay to say that yeah uh before we move on um uh andre muniz submitting jacare oh. and oh rough is that a submission really <laughs> you know what you know the way he tapped but when you see the way jacare just like doesn't grimace he just taps it's like dude he's kind of got that tony ferguson bones in him too so and then that he's in unreal. the he almost had no reaction Yes, um, that's crazy. Andrea Lee shocking uh, Shevchenko. Uh, I'm not going to lie, that was impressive when you think about the skid she was on and then how good Shevchenko looks, looked against Lipsky in the last fight on the ground too. So that was a good one. That and was then an incredible a- performance actually, like super impressive. She looked great, like her physique. The performance was, was pretty much a dominant one. Uh, it was almost like... Valentina Shevchenko against uh, Andrade <laughs> or or Kuchukagian, right? Where it was just like dominant and like you know on the ground, holding him down, neutralizing the opponent. So, I mean, I know I know you have a a, a good working relationship with with Angeli, so I'm sure you were happy to see that. Absolutely, I, I was. I was just I, I knew she'd been through a lot and been putting a lot of work into that, so. Yeah, I was very happy to see that. She talked about how much she'd been working in Colorado and being more present in the fight, and I think that all really reflected in her performance. we got to talk about it, though. Um, Edson Barbosa. I mean, what are we calling this? The delayed reaction knockout? Is that, you know, like, are we adding that to the lexicon, like being Masvidal? What are we calling this? (laughs) Yeah, that's the... the... (laughs) The delayed reaction too. Yeah, Cormier or Rogan, you know, compared it to the liver shot, which is the only other, the only time when you see a, a kind of response like that where it's like, oh, nice shot. Oh, you know, it, it takes a second. And this one, wow, it's 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 disturbing though because it's the you know the brain that's having the delayed reaction and uh, um, you know, <laughs> it looked like a hard, really hard one too. Like when he when when Barboza threw that, I was like, damn, that's. That's a sick, fast combo he just launched on, on um, oh boy, I can't remember. Oh, Burgos, on Shane Burgos. Yes. So it looked impressive, but then there was no reaction until three seconds later, and all of a sudden Burgos could barely stay on his feet. 
it's a little bit disturbing, man. I hope he's okay. Um, I know he went to the hospital, but yeah, that one's crazy. Never seen anything like that before. Yeah, uh, I think that that's uh, new. Uh, I'll be honest, I feel like we've seen a lot more of that stuff. It's like, you think you've seen it all? No, no, we haven't, <laughs> you know? And um, uh, Barbosa looks so good. Man, he was throwing with heat. Burgos was getting back at him and connecting. And I was like, oh, we got a, we just got a good one. But man, just watching that in real time, it's like, you know, yes, there are a lot of memes and a lot of, you know, when you, when your mind says Duke's up, but your body says hold up, you know, <laughs> all this other stuff. The app, you know, he opened the app, but then it crashed all this. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I will say now, yes, obviously, you feel like that's the kind of thing, well, you kind of need to be getting an MRI every day. That's how scary it looked. I'm sure he's fine. I'm sure they ran the required tests, but certainly Shane Burgos do not want him taking... I don't want him breaking a sweat for a minute. So, yeah, just super impressive. And once again, every now and then we see something new and it's like, well remember like someone's gonna get cracked and it's like are we gonna get another delayed reaction knockout you never know now we're gonna be thinking about it that's how good it was that's how much it's gonna sit in our minds for a little while i think what about you yeah that's definitely one of those that you won't um forget and we'll always just reference as that oh remember that one time when shane burgos like had a delayed reaction to the shot until we see something like that again, which, as you pointed out, we've, we've been having a lot of those, um, you know, I haven't seen one of those ever uh, reactions to some fights um, or even like Chris Weidman, right? Like, you know, only the third time in the UFC cage where something like that happens. So interesting, like everyone's getting uh, everyone's getting stronger. It's a Stronger, great time. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, well, we'll talk about this. It's just been such a wild month in MMA, just with all the different stuff, one championship and then, you know, PFL and all this. And it's like, you know, it's just, it's been a lot to process. Um, I mean, obviously, 262, great night. We're really looking forward to what's next for Charles Oliveira. I think he sets him up now for one of the most anticipated fights either way um, of 2021. Not too much in the way of, excuse me, in the way of drama, which I think is, uh, you know, I think the lack of news was surprising. I mean, sometimes we're like, oh my gosh, there's so much we can't get into all of it, but... um. I think the biggest thing is that August looks like it's going to be another month of middleweights, just like we had in uh, in March. So you have Derek Brunson and Darren Till on August 14th, which, by the way, there are a lot of rumors they're going to try to do a card in London. That particular card, the undercard, seems to have a lot of European talent and, you know, British talent. So we might see that. I mean, I think that's huge. A fight night in a foreign country like... It's been a minute since we had those, right? And then, of course, a week later, August 21st, you're going to have Paulo Costa taking on Jared Cannonier. That's a huge fight. That's an exciting fight. So uh, just what are your thoughts on those announcements first? Yeah, exciting fights, no doubt. And um, it'll be good. You know, it's always exciting uh, to use that word one more time. When the UFC bunches together a bunch of top uh 
contenders, a bunch of important matchups close to each other because then it helps, you know, tell the story for the next uh, title shot or the next, you know, close to title shot scenario. So this is uh, setting us up to be a, to, to give us another one of those, right? Like if it all shakes out, if both fights or at least one pair of these fights are exciting, then it helps clear up the picture for what's next at the middleweight division. Uh, I agree with you. And I like the matchups on paper. I think that when you think about the fireworks we'll get from Costa and Cannoneer, I think that's, you know, reason enough to be excited for that one. Brunson and Till, I'm not going to lie, I was shaking my head a little bit. I was a little like, wait, what? Like, I thought we are going to get Brunson Costa and all this other stuff. And as I thought about it more, I thought, you know, this is a great fight, I think, coming off of uh, everything he's got going on for Till. So... I, I just like the way that they are matched up stylistically. And um, to talk about it, you know, the winner of these obviously sets up something big. I have a hard time seeing a scenario where Whitaker kind of gets passed over again for any reason. Unless, you know, Vittori shocks Adesanya, which could happen, and then who knows. But I think more than likely the winner of these two has to fight each other. And by that time on the calendar, we probably have a good indication of what the middleweight title schedule will be with, you know, will we see Whitaker and Adesanya or Whitaker Vittori and all this other stuff. I'm going to give you an audible. Let's say something were to happen and, you know, one of these winners were to be a title contender. Who do you think it would be and why? So if Brunson wins, Till wins, Costa, Cannoneer, who would you think would be like, okay, if they are impressive, they're definitely going to be the one to get the shot? Uh, For me, it's 100% Darren Till. He's the most um, charismatic of the four. Great mic game. And um, you can just, you know, I always talk about the marketing, the hype, the, the media, press conference, all that stuff, like, that stuff matters. It helps sell a fight. And so out of the four, who's going to be the best person to sell a fight against the champ? It's going to be, it's going to be Darren Till. So that's, uh, that's my pick for if he does a good enough job, makes an impressive enough showing, it's almost a guarantee he'll, he'll get the, the next shot or you know the chance at the next shot. I agree. I think that um, Darren Till, I think he might have what they call the Dana White privilege now. I just feel like, um, by the way, great line last week, wasn't it? Um, I just <laughs> yes, feel like the, <laughs> I just feel like on several occasions the UFC has tried to go chips in on Darren Till and mm-hmm. um, you know, like big fight with uh, Rob Whitaker, okay, and then big fight with uh, it would have been Hermanson and Adesanya's giving him the rub, you know, and it looks like okay, Darren Till just has to win and he's got it right. And I feel like this is another matchup once again, even though he's been out a minute now, even though he's coming off two consecutive injuries on top of his loss. You know, he wins it, and it looks like they just seem to want to manifest it for Darren. And um, look, I mean, think about it with with Cannoneer. I mean, a Cannoneer beats Paulo Costa, and let's say Whitaker and Adesanya do their business. If Adesanya comes out on top, how can you not want to see Jared Cannonier get that? But yeah, for sure, it just feels like it's been Darren Till's opportunity 
for the last couple months and he just hasn't been able to get in the octagon and claim it so I agree with you I do think that it will be Darren Till if he gets the job done against Brunson but I don't know and I think that's also partially a bit of the world that Adesanya has created I mean and Whitaker between them they've both defeated all four of these guys and it's just I've said it it's creating this epic like you've got the two you've got the former king who's quiet and reserved and you got the one who took his throne and they're meeting once again in the battlefield you know it's just got all these epic qualities to it when you think about how dominant they've been at 185 so oh my gosh but yes Darren Till I'm with you if one guy's gonna get the jump over everybody it's Darren it's him yeah um, it wouldn't be a show lately if we don't talk about some kind of thriller stuff, right? <laughs> yep. So Dana White just goes off. So it, here's the big story. The thriller CEO says that he tried to make Oscar De La Hoya against former two-division UFC champion and who's... He, he essentially admitted to Joe Rogan, yes, I'm retired. George St. Pierre, mm-hmm. arguably the MMA GOAT. And he went on Instagram to say Dana White is blocking it. Dana White said it's a no-go. He said he's been trying to reach Dana White. And Dana White's kind of stopped communication. We get to the post-fight press conference. Dana White does not explicitly say, No, I didn't block GSP. What he did say was, I am tired of talking about the Triller guy. He keeps bugging me. And... Why doesn't he just go do his thing? Why does he keep talking about my guys? I'm going to just say it. I read that as, yes, you did say no go on GSP. In which case now, I just found that very interesting. Natalie, what were your thoughts? I think it's a little unfair. And first of all, let me ask you, didn't Dana White have to approve Ben Askren fighting? Yes. For Triller? Okay, so... So and he he the story goes anyway he off he was the one who connected Ben Askren with Freddie Roach right so he clearly wanted Ben Askren to make a good showing maybe he was hoping this would put an end to the calling out of MMA fighters but it didn't just made it worse so now GSP you know a legend in the sport of MMA set or you know attempting to get a fight with Oscar De La Hoya one of the greatest boxers Olympic gold medalist. And Dana White doesn't want him to fight. Why? Is it because it's a no-brainer that a boxer is going to beat an MMA fighter in a boxing match? Yeah, I think probably. And he doesn't want to see another one of his names, um, his his like important fighters, his big names. He doesn't want to see their their legacy get get tarnished and have a knockout of them on a on a high on somebody else's highlight reel. So. That's got to be why he's he's putting a stop to it, but it's kind of like too little, too late. Like you already let the you know you already let the, the the bad guy into your house, and now you're trying to say like, oh no, man, like you know you better leave. Um, he you know it's too late. It's too late in in, in that like he he opened Pandora's box, and Ryan Kavanaugh is making this so public and you know willing to be desperate. Uh, Dana White's not going to budge, but he's already he already made the first mistake by by letting Ben Askren fight Jake Paul. But saying that out loud just makes me cringe because these guys shouldn't have to ask the UFC for permission to go fight in boxing, to make some money, to do whatever they want in combat sports if they've retired from MMA, right? 
They're not trying to go fight at Bellator or one championship. They're just trying to go do something else. And that that's what pisses me off is that 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 UFC Dana White is getting in the way of anybody, name big or name small, do something in the boxing world. Uh, so that's where I stand. <laughs> what do you uh, what do you think? Are you a fan of of UFC getting in the way of GSP? Uh, no, just because I feel like there's nothing really more for GSP to do and. Uh, to really expand on it, for me, I think that what it really comes from on Dana White's end, and, you know, in a lot of ways, in some ways, unfair, but I think he sees it as like, well, you know what, GSP, I'm here, been ready for you to keep fighting and defending your title for me. So, you know what, no, I'm not going to let you just go box De La Hoya. We've been trying to get you to sign a contract and fight for X amount of years since you retired back in you know, whenever, uh, 2013, 2014, whenever it was. So I do think that there is partially a bit of that frustration. It's like, you know what? You guys have fight contracts. You guys have fights you could take with us. Just because, you know, oh, you want to go beat up so-and-so for Triller and they'll throw a bag at you. It's like, um, we got a business too. And, and I will say this, on the UFC's end, you got to think about, you know, I, I know the UFC, uh, some people have some thoughts about the way they run business. You got to remember, if they ran things differently and expected the same, like, hey, when we signed you, we made a commitment, you're out here fighting for us. That's not unfair. I'll point to the Dylan Dennis Triller situation. Scott Coker saying, well, yeah, I know what you guys want, but uh, we need to make money off of Dylan Dennis too. If we let him box, where's our cut? I understand that, uh, you know, with Dana White and GSP. Uh, ben Askren is a completely different case. I, I don't know where they're at with Tyron Woodley. That seems to be a gray area because now Woodley's being an analyst, but he's not fighting. And, you know, so in the case of GSP, I find it unfortunate just because I feel like we all understand why GSP called it a day. He goes out on top and in a lot of ways, like some of the fighters now, you know, like uh, John Jones uh, a little bit. It's like, look, you know, I've been at the top so long. Every fight isn't about at least really unless it's one or two guys not even in the division. It's not about me adding to my legacy. It's someone else is getting an opportunity to take everything I've built. And I'm not really getting more from fighting these guys at this level. Um, yeah, that, like... I'm sure Dana White is like, well, what if we were to try to do GSP versus Usman? Well, obviously Dana White wants something like that. So I understand probably wanting to not encourage fighters who he could still make profit and sell big fights with. Talking about Triller. But I do also feel like, didn't you kind of encourage this too? Yeah. I mean, Jake Paul said, nah, UFC said, yeah, we'll give you a seat at in Jacksonville. And, you know, yes, they did put him on. Remember, Dana White runs the production. He has that phone. Everyone has acknowledged it, including himself. If there's something he does not like, he calls somebody who says, you need to stop talking about this or you need to get that off of the screen. And so the fact that it's like he put Jake Paul out there, but now there's this going on, it makes me think that behind the scenes, it's gone too far. 
Don't you think, or doesn't it suck, I guess, that GSP, the legend that he is, can't just go fight? Like, uh, can't just do what he wants, essentially? Like, if he's been clear with the UFC, hey, man, I don't want to fight MMA anymore. Like, why? Are, I mean, I, I get that it's a business, but do, don't they feel a little bit bad just hamstringing this guy, saying, like, nope, it's either our way or the highway, you signed a contract? I know it's business, man. I know it's business, but it just seems double G. It just seems mean, and I don't like it. Uh, I get it because uh, GSP has said it's like, look, you know, like what do I have to gain by you know fighting Kamara Usman? Yes, it, it would be a huge deal. Yes, like especially right now, if GSP were to fight Kamara, but you know, he kind of said it's like, look, you know, it's like there's always going to be another guy. And yes, if it wasn't Kamaru, maybe we're talking about Colby or something else. Someone who's on a great run or a Leon Edwards, something, right? I, I completely get that. But uh, like I said, I see UFC. They're like, look, we've been trying to sign you to fight and you've just given us that cold shoulder. So, you know, I get it in that way. It's like, look, you want to fight so bad, we'll give you somebody. We could do it tomorrow. But yeah, when you know why GSP is not fighting anymore, it's like, uh, yeah, he's getting the short end of the deal there. But I also get what UFC is trying to say, too. But um, yeah, I mean, I'll say this. I think that we are definitely not going to see no former UFC fighter fighting Jake Paul next. <laughs> Tommy, Tommy Fury, Dylan Dennis, somebody that I don't know. Yep. They are definitely fight a fight. boxer. I'm a better striker than Ben Askren. Like, come on, pick anybody else. Just leave the world of MMA. I mean, I think you need to calm down now, Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> I know we all we all look great when we're doing the wee boxing, but come on. When when Ronda Rousey lost to Holly Holm, I remember I was like, I could have done a better job. I was a little litty breathing because I was so upset. I was like, I could have done a better job against Holly Holm. So I definitely have delusions of grandeur. <laughs> it's no judgment. It's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I forgive you. Um, let's talk about some fights coming up. Um, this Saturday, we got a big one in the Bantamweight division. Rob Font taking on Cody Garbrandt in the main event of UFC Vegas 27. Um, Natalie, what I love about this one is that when you watch Rob Font just get in somebody's face and bring it, and you know what Cody is capable of, you really feel like this one could provide fireworks. My one caveat is that when you watch Cody when he came back about a year ago against Asuncao, more patient, he's looking to move more, use his kicks more, pick his spots more. Usually I would say Rob Font has exactly the style to, you know, bring back, you know, the old, I'm a get, you know, just go reckless Cody Garbrandt. Now, I will say that this is a very interesting one because I think that uh, Rob is durable. I think that he's going to try to do a lot of things he's done and pressure Cody and kind of make him feel like he can't set up and sit down on those punches. But, it, you know, it, he's he's got a bunch of great wins. He's beaten Sergio Pettis and that victory looks good right about now. He stopped Marlon Moraes. But then you remember that power in Cody's hands, man. It just makes for all the more fun. It's like, you know what? You could have all those good qualities, but now you're up against one of the big guns. I love it. 
Yeah, I feel I feel the same way. I love it. And, you know, Cody Garbrandt, it's been a minute, right? June 2020 is the last time he fought. But that fight, what a memorable knockout. The swagger, the power against Rafael Asuncao. And Rob Pond, is, of course, is a killer. So are we expecting this to stay mostly on the feet? Yeah, I think so. Is it going to be a barn burner? Yeah, I think so. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited, man. This is just like the perfect classic, like MMA, go get them, rock them, sock them fight. And um, man, they better deliver though. I don't want to see any of the, uh, I don't want to see anybody up against the cage for two rounds. I'll just say that. <laughs> well, I mean, let's get right into it. Who do you think takes this one? Because uh, obviously they're both uh, very adept on the feet. Um, I could see Rob Font, you know, doing some work on the mat, but um. I think Cody has the advantage. Just a lot of years of grappling with the guys at Alpha Male, and now he's working with Mark Henry. So I just, I'll say it. I really favor Cody in this one. I think the athleticism, I think the athleticism and the patience. I feel like he's a little bit bigger and stronger than um, Rob, and I think that that's going to be the difference if he can be disciplined with his defense. I think that's going to be it. Stay patient. Third round TKO for Cody is my prediction. What about you? Oh, my goodness. I just literally wrote down my prediction. Third round TKO. <laughs> for? For Cody Garbrandt. Yes, okay, just, 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 check, just checking. Sorry, sorry. I thought that was... This, yeah. It's like Rob Font. It's like... What you... <laughs> for Rob Font. No. Be yeah, clear. Cody Garbrandt. I'm with you. The fast hands, the power, the great head movement. And, uh, yeah, a little bit of that cockiness. I think it's going to be his, uh, his fight to lose here. So I, I do also uh, predict... As I just exclaimed, round three TKO. So let's see. Let's see if we're both right. We can high five each other over the phone. Yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll make it a video <laughs> podcast for once yeah. and we'll do that. Um, real quick, Jan Shonan versus uh, Carlos Barza. You know what? Uh, yes or no? The winner of this one will be next for Rose Namajunas. Yes. I don't think she's going to give uh, Whaley Zhang a rematch uh, right away. Let it marinate, and and yeah, let's 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 try someone new for a change. The Carlos Barza now, I love Carlos Barza. I'm I'm rooting for her. I don't know if she's gonna win, but if she does win, that's that's a great rematch, right? Because yeah. of the tough um, history, Carlo beating Rose to win the belt. So that's the one I want to see. I think if Carlo wins, that's definitely the person they're gonna set up to fight Rose next. I think so, too. I, I don't know about Jan Shunan. I think you have to... Look, I'll say this. We don't know how famous Zhang Weili is in China. And in the same way, I don't know how popular Yan Shunan is in China. So if uh, it's different, if Jan has a big following, I could see because it seemed like Dana White was down to bring the UFC to Asia when Zhang Weili was champion. In the absence of some other names, I could see it happening. But um, yeah, I think that if the winner of this one looks good, I think that uh, you know, other contenders like Mackenzie Dern still looking for that one more big win to maybe break through in that conversation. I think that Carla, she's kind of like the last gatekeeper. She wins one more, she gets it. Someone beats her. Right now, they probably get it too. So yeah. Um, by the way, uh, Sergey Spiva, not Sergey Spiva, um. Uh, Jared Vendera, always like watching him, know him personally. He's in the Coco, third from the top. That's a fun one. And a very rare, wouldn't you believe it, women's featherweight fight. Felicia huh. Spencer, Norma Dumont. 
I feel like we have to acknowledge that. It doesn't happen very often if, unless Amanda Nunes is involved, you know? I hope it's a good fight. So, you know, get some people talking about the division. Uh, yeah, I, t- I really don't know. <laughs> and then yeah. I heard Kayla Harrison talking about it and Dana White says, I don't think she's ready. And I'm like, <sighs> I really don't know. Like, I, I heard that and I heard that and I'm thinking like, you know what? Dana White isn't going to add another contract and Kayla Harrison's going to go to Bellator. That's what I thought when I heard that. I was like, this is just, you know, star-crossed lovers, Kayla Harrison in the UFC. It just doesn't, you know, feel like getting her a UFC contract is kind of going to be like Romeo and Juliet getting together, you know? Dude, she's definitely ready. Like, doesn't she train with Nunes? She knows what the power is. And she's now and on. now she's saying Amanda and her don't spar because she said she wants to be the best. And that probably means beating Amanda. So now they're like, <laughs> wow, okay. Hey, <laughs> Kayla, have a good workout. Yeah. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Ah, the drama. Mm. Anyway, uh, Bellator, I think, has the biggest star in action. Uh, Chris Cyborg fighting Leslie Smith rematch I believe they fought 2014 back when Chris was doing the 140 pound experiment in UFC and they thought can she make 135 and make the Ronda fight happen Leslie uh, you know what ups and downs Uh, I think that um, you look at her numbers they're not gonna scream this is the girl to beat Cyborg Uh, I do want to acknowledge Leslie Smith, probably one of the loudest voices in terms of uh, MMA politics. She is a very big advocate for fighter unionization, and that's kind of been her cause. But she's now, you know, look, this is someone you got to acknowledge. She's kind of coming in like Rocky Balboa. She knows that Apollo Creed's on the other side. Easily, the uh, if not 1A, then no less than 1B in terms of the history of women's mixed martial arts uh, of the GOAT conversation. And she's tough. However, once again, you've got to acknowledge she's fighting Chris Cyborg. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, fighting Chris Cyborg is like, no matter who you are going into a fight, um, if your opponent is Chris Cyborg, it's always like, but you're fighting Chris Cyborg. <laughs> Eventually, that will no longer be the case. And, of course, if you're Amanda Nunes, that's not the case. But for Leslie Smith, we saw what happened last time. Tough as tough as heck against Cyborg, but, you know, just ate one too many punches. The ref didn't like it and called the fight, and, you know, right, rightly so. Uh, in this instance, I think it's going to be a little bit like what I what we were talking about for Rob Font and Cordy Garbrandt is, like, you know, possibly a barn burner. But also Leslie, you know, a, a barn burner if they both sort of let themselves get carried away and just go into brawl mode. Now, that wouldn't benefit Leslie Smith. Chris Cyborg can probably get away with it against someone like Leslie, Leslie Smith because she doesn't have the power that Nunes does. Leslie Smith cannot get away with brawling, berserker style with Chris Cyborg. So if I'm Leslie Smith, I stay, I keep my distance, I stay calm, I stay patient. You know, she's an excellent grappler. She can probably use that to her advantage and uh, and try and win the old slow fashion way by points. And I think that's kind of her only shot. I don't think she can outpunch, outstrike Chris Cyborg. That's a tough one to 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 accomplish unless you're you know Amanda Nunes. So um, it would be great to see Leslie Smith get that belt wrapped around her waist, but. 
Chris Cyborg is still Chris Cyborg. Like she's still got that power. She's still she's still a big threat in that division. You know, so when we talk about Leslie Smith, you're talking about a veteran, been through Invicta, been through UFC, been through Bellator. Uh, look, got some wins, got some losses, uh, seen it all. I think the biggest thing about her is she brings a level of toughness, uh, well-rounded. I'm not going to say she's lights out like, oh, she's going to always get the takedown. She's, you know, she's an absolute bow constrictor on the ground, lights out, one-shot power, most technical girl. I think she puts it all together. I think that um, just she's very fearless in there. And you saw that in her last fight with Amanda Bell. I think the biggest thing, you know, and mind you, not just uh, Leslie, but most women, but in particular this fight, the pedigree and the physicality. Chris is still one of the biggest and strongest featherweights in the women's division. And I think that when you talk about a lot of the openings that Leslie Smith leaves, that just kind of turns into, you know, oh, this is exactly what Chris Cyborg wants. You know, she wants you to think you could overpower because she knows that she's stronger. I think her punches just do more. They're just going to have more impact. And I think the lack of, uh, you know, she picks her spots now. And I think that's made her more careful and more disciplined in her defense. That's going to just close up all those openings that Leslie is going to try to create, you know, trying to push Chris Cyborg, maybe try to grapple her a little bit um, like you brought up. So... I think that that's the biggest thing is that Cyborg's physicality is just going to still be there. Just her abilities on the feet are still going to be sharper. It's going to be the cleaner, more technical striker. And you know what? If I'm being honest, Cyborg is fighting with a chip on her shoulder. I get the feeling lately that she just wants to... She knows she doesn't got a long years at the top left. She, she knows just how close the engine is to probably starting to slow down. She wants to sweep the field. I think she's looking at it and said, I want Bud. I wanted Blanco. I want Smith. I want Zingano. And I'm mm-hmm. hoping they give me Kayla Harrison early next year so I could retire and beat all these girls while I'm still the favorite. Because let's be honest, it's only May. She could easily fight Kat Zingano later this year and sweep all of Bellator's top featherweights. I know that they got Liam McCord and Janae Harding. Too young, not enough experience, I think, for either one of them. I think that she really is looking to, I want to beat Leslie, I want to beat Kat. And then, you know what? All chips in, Bellator try to sign Kayla Harrison. I think that's honestly what Cyborg's trying to do in this next year. And I think she's fighting like that. She knows any hiccup along the way stops that. And I bring this to the point, why is this important in the fight? I don't think complacency is something you got to worry about yet for Chris. Yes, she's heavily favored to beat Leslie. I think she's still training just as hard for it. So, uh, all that to say, I'm gonna go Chris Cyborg for the win. Um, I think she just overpowers Leslie and gets a finishing sequence. I'm gonna go second round uh, TKO. Okay. Um, just writing this down for the record books here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, there's no disagreeing with that fine analysis. So I'm with you, Chris Cyborg, still, still the man at 145 in the female division, and I don't mean man disrespectfully. It's the same as me talking about company man last week. It's just I just think of everybody as mankind. Um, and uh, so yeah, she's still the man. 
And uh, I can't disagree with you. I'm going to say we're going to do a double high five next week because I'm going to also go TKO round two. There we go. All right. We're getting along. Hey, does your book say who picked Charles Oliveira last week? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure did. <laughs> just, just oh, I threw, in the, I threw in the trash here. Let me see. <laughs> Let's see uh... I threw it in the trash on Saturday night with he won. Um, uh, you said, uh, yeah, you said Charles Oliveira, unanimous decision. Okay, so you still got the right guy. Yeah. But I did pick Benil. You picked Tony, so. Yeah, that's fair. But who, <laughs> but yeah, but who won the title now? Who won the title? Whose idea was it to bring these numbers up? (laughs) My Um, (laughs) Double G won the title. (laughs) Real quick. So, you know, guys, thank you for listening. But um, next week. So we've come off this month. There's like some combination. UFC, Bellator, PFL, one championship. And even like this week, there's also LFA and Invicta. Next week, no UFC, no Bellator, no PFL, no one there is literally no nothing is it spring break and they didn't tell us <laughs> it's kind of freaky no i mean it's like we were just like oh my gosh there's like three fight cards a week now it's like dude there's there's nothing next week so and don't get me wrong and you know i think a lot of fight fans oh i could finally make it out to the movies but um i, I just want to feel like it's worth noting we were having mma overload and now it's like not even like a little Invicta event next week? Nothing? Nothing. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, guys, we'll definitely have that. I will be here next week. Uh, Natalie is working on some stuff. but um, So she'll be taking a week off. But I will be inviting one of my friends to come on and talk a little bit of MMA and just the latest headlines and recaps with you. So definitely tune in for that. Natalie, we will miss you. And, of course, you know, good luck with everything you got going on. And guys, I'll be back next week. Natalie will be back soon. Until then, take care.